Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Well, hello everybody from Colorado Springs. I'm recording this in my hotel room and I'm looking out and seeing Cheyenne Mountain. It's just right across the way, towering upwards, and it's a mysterious place to me. It's the uh, place where NORAD and the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Space Agency all seem to come together, and I'm wondering what is on and in that mountain. Well, it made me think that if all of the atomic and the nuclear weapons in the world were combined into one giant explosive, it still would not equal the impact, the explosive excitement of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again and splits the sky, causes the earth to shake and the heavens to melt. I want to talk today about Revelation chapter 1 in a series called On the Precipice of Prophecy. And we're looking at different aspects of biblical prophecy. I've never been more fascinated in my life than I am now by biblical prophecy. And my interest in it goes back to childhood. My father and my uncle Walter were great students of biblical prophecy. And I remember watching them as they studied their Bible. And my uncle Walter got copies of the Jerusalem Post. They were absolutely amazed that Israel was back in its ancient homeland after 2,000 years, and they listened to Stuart McBurney and some of the prophetic preachers of those days. And I suppose that I inherited my love for prophecy from them. But then just consider the fact that a third of the Bible is prophetic in nature. The Lord loves telling us the future in advance, and that's why I've written The 50 Final Events in World History. That book is out now. There's a study guide being prepared to go along with it. It's already in audio. I recorded it myself in the studios down on Music Row. And it's also available in electronic books around the world. It's called The 50 Final Events in World History. And I've really been very pleased by its reception. At speaking engagements, people have carried off five and six copies in their hands because they want to give them to loved ones. And it's a study of the book of Revelation. This is my uh, putting forth or setting down what I have learned about the book of Revelation over nearly a half century of studying it. And so today I just want to deal with Revelation chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles and you're able to open it with me to Revelation chapter 1, and it begins by saying the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, there we have in the very first sentence so much about this book, including its purpose. Well, we have, first of all, its title. This is the book of Revelation. And the word revelation means something that has now been revealed. 
It once was hidden. Nobody knew this information. Everybody wondered, what's going to happen in coming days? And now God has revealed it. The title of this book, as I say in the 50 final events, is not obscurity or befuddlement or confusion. It is revelation, and it comes from Jesus Christ. God the Father gave him this information so that he could show his servants what must soon take place. Now, God the Father gave this book, 22 chapters, to Jesus Christ so that Jesus could go to his servants, those who are following him, and say, here is what is going to happen. This is what's going to take place in the future. And it says what must soon take place. Now, the word soon could be translated quickly. But one of the principles of hermeneutics is that when you study the Bible, you have to interpret every word from the perspective of the author. So if, for example, I'm saying something to you in a conversation, and maybe at first it's a little confusing, you may want to back up and say, now, what did you mean by that? Because the actual meaning was what was in my mind, what I intended, and you have to interpret it. So the word as I define it, or the meaning as I attribute it in the context that I give it, is what is important about understanding the Bible. So when God uses the word soon, we have to say, what does he mean by soon? It's been 2,000 years. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter said, but don't you know, if you are waiting for the Lord to come again and being impatient about it and listening to the scoffers who are saying, where is this coming he promised about? Don't you know that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day? In other words, our Lord has only been gone again two days from God's perspective. It's not even been a weekend. It was two days ago that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended up to heaven. And you're already saying, well, where is this coming? Why hasn't he come back? And it's only been two days from God's perspective. But the Lord said, well, don't worry about it. His coming again is soon. And from the perspective of God, it is very soon. And I think from our perspective, it is increasingly soon. One of the things about Revelation is, well, let me give you two things. First of all, we are the first full generation since Israel has been back in its own land. That's very significant prophetically. And secondly, we are the first generation in which, as we read through some of the catastrophes described in Revelation, can see them as being plausible events. So I think that if there is ever a generation that should understand the book of Revelation, it is you and me and this generation. And I think even middle schoolers can understand this book. And I told my son-in-law, Joshua wrote today, that even children should understand the book of Revelation if they can follow along with all of these uh, games that they play, which I can't even begin to understand. And if they can follow along the plots of all of these apocalyptic and fantasy movies, and if they can wade through all of the material that they're given in the educational system, some of it, if it's secular education, not worth looking at at all, and yet they're being indoctrinated with it, if they can absorb all of that, 
then I believe they can understand the book of Revelation if it is simply presented to them just as it unfolds. So this is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, verse 1 goes on to say, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. The John that is listed here is almost certainly John the Apostle. He was only a young man when he began following Christ. I think he was about 20 years old, but he was very bright. One of the things to remember about John is that in the gospel accounts of the arrest of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was taken to the home of the high priest, John was well known to the family of the high priest and to the servants and to the high priest. And he was able to go with Jesus right into the inner sanctums of the high priest's home. And he was able to get Peter in with him. Now, how did John become so familiar with the most powerful families of Israel? Well, the only plausible answer is that he was the Southern Cells representative for the fishing business that originated along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and which his brother and his father and his partners had established and which was sending imported fish all over Israel. I've just finished reading a book on the, um, um, the daily life archaeology of Israelites in the time of Christ. And there were huge vats for fish along the Sea of Galilee. The fishermen would catch the fish, put them in these vats. There were factories there for processing them. They would be pickled or they would be dried or they would be sent all over Israel and all over the neighbors around Israel. And so this was quite a, uh, I mean, the fish from the Sea of Galilee was very desirable and it was desirable among the upper class in Jerusalem. So John evidently was a representative for the fishing company, and he sold fish to the priest, the high priest, and to the priestly families, and the people there knew him. So even as a young man, he was very gifted. He apparently was outgoing. He was bright. He understood things. He became a follower of Jesus Christ, and the closest emotionally, it seems, to Jesus and he was there when Jesus rose from the dead and when Jesus ascended to heaven. He later became the bishop of the church of Ephesus, which Paul had established in the book of Acts, and this had become the leading church in the East. Now, when we think of Asia Minor, we're talking about modern-day Turkey. So from, say, Greece and the Aegean all the way uh, into Babylonia, this was the church of the East, and John was the head of it in his latter years. He lived uh, to be in his 90s. He was probably about 80 or 85 when he wrote the book of Revelation. And this is the John that it's talking about. In the West, by the way, the Roman church became the leading church. But in the East, it was the church in Ephesus and later the church in Constantinople, but that's another story. So this is the John who was the bishop in his elder years, the last surviving apostle in the city of Ephesus and over the churches in this area, particularly the seven churches that will be mentioned later. So it says in verse one, we're still in verse one, 
The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So God gave this word to Jesus, and Jesus testifies that it's true. Now, verse 3 has a blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. This is the only book in the Bible you may have heard in which there is a special blessing at the beginning and also another one at the end for those who really devote themselves to the reading and the study of this book. This is why I've been so eager to share it, and this is why I think perhaps my book, The 50 Final Events, is receiving a a good reception. It is because there is a blessing that comes. Now, it's worried me a lot that there are many Christians, and I think probably 70 or 80% of Christians in average churches across the United States who are just absolutely bamboozled by the book of Revelation. They not only do not understand it, they really think it is not understandable. And there are so many pastors who don't preach from this book, and yet here we receive the assurance of a blessing coming to those who, number one, read these words aloud, and number two, who hear, and number three, who take to heart this message. And this morning in my devotions, I was going back to Revelation chapter one again, and I was so deeply moved. Oh, Lord, may I take to heart what is written in this book. Oh, may the Lord help us to take to heart what is written in the 22 chapters of Revelation, because the time is near. Verse 1 said, it's coming soon, and verse 3 says, it is near. So that's the prologue of the book of Revelation. Now, in verse 4, we have the greetings, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. These churches are later identified, for example, down in verse 11, as Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These were seven cities, Ephesus by far the largest, but they formed a circuit. And in my book, The 50 Final Events in World History, I have a map you can consult uh, with this. But this was the circuit that John would apparently travel on, and it was also the postal circuit. And so these were the seven churches to whom this book was originally addressed. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. That is God the Father, and that phrase has to do with his eternality, that he is from everlasting to everlasting. He never was not. He will never not be as he has been, so he will forever be. He is the one who is right now existing, who always has been, who always will be. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne, this is the Holy Spirit, and he is referred to in the book of Revelation as the sevenfold spirit or the seven spirits that are before the throne. Remember 
This book was written originally to seven churches. Each of these seven churches was the home of the Holy Spirit who indwelt the believers there. And so he was a sevenfold spirit. And uh, we'll talk more about that later, maybe in a later episode of this uh, series of podcasts on the lampstands and the Holy Spirit and the relationship to Zechariah and everything else. But this is referring to God the Father, to the Holy Spirit, and verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus Christ is witnessing faithfully to everything he is giving us here. And he rose from the dead, and he is the ruler over all of the kings of the earth. It's not President Xi Jinping. It's not the president of the United States. It's not Vladimir Putin, the invader, the butcher, the mass murderer. It's none of those people, none of them, will exist in rebellion for long against the one who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. So there is a Trinitarian blessing here, grace and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. Now, this tells us three things about you and me. First of all, that God loves you. This is the theme which was so important to John the Apostle. The whole gospel of John, the fourth gospel, is about for God so loved the world. And John is the apostle of love. And the first thing he wants us to know about ourselves is that God loves us and he has freed us. We've been delivered from our sins. Wow. By his blood. We're only seven verses into the book. And already, or really only six verses, already we are encountering the theme of the blood of Christ. So the Lord loves us, and his blood has broken us free to live in newness and freshness and eternity of life. And he has made us to be a kingdom. Right now, we are God's invisible kingdom on this earth. We are here as his kingdom members, and we are priests representing him. And so to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So all of that is still part of the prologue. So we have the purpose of the book in verse 1. We have its transmission process. We have um, a special promise of blessing. We have the greetings and then this doxology. And now in verse 7, we have a hymn. Now the great hymns of the faith have their origin in the pages of the Bible. We have hymns all the way through the book of the Old Testament, and especially the book of Psalms, but we also have hymns all the way through the New Testament, and the book of Revelation is filled with glorious hymns, classic hymns, and here's the first one that summarizes all of the contents of Revelation. Look, it says in verse 7, the old Hebrew or the old uh, King James word, behold, look, take notice of this right now, turn aside and see this. He is coming 
with the clouds. Now, I don't have time right now to go into this phrase. The Old Testament talks about how the Lord rode upon the winds and the clouds of the sky. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he disappeared into the clouds. And when he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was enveloped with a cloud. And all throughout the Bible, we see the clouds of God's Shekinah glory. And we're told that Jesus will come with the clouds. And every eye will see him, which is a quotation from the Old Testament and um, from the book of Zechariah. We're told that at the moment, sooner or later, everybody on earth who has ever lived is going to see Jesus, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of them. They will say, why didn't we trust? Why didn't we believe? Why didn't we live in the wonderful way that he prescribed for us? This is the opening hymn. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And then we have the end of the prologue with verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. Now, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek New Testament, or the Greek uh, alphabet, I should say. And Omega is the last word. It's like saying, I am from A to Z. I am the span of all words and all wisdom, of all ages and of all time. From the beginning to the end, from the first and the last, I encompass everything, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that verse 8 is simply like God's signature at the end of the prologue, saying all of this is coming from me and it is coming backed by my authority. So that is the prologue of the book of Revelation. In the next episode, I want to pick up at verse 9 and show you John's opening vision. And as I'll tell you next time, it is the most accurate, physical, literal, visual description we have of what Jesus Christ looks like in all of the Bible. Well, I hope that you will study the book of Revelation with me. Now, I'm covering all of this in my book, The 50 Final Events in World History. We also have a video series at my website, Robert J. Morgan, by that same title. My book is also available in audio. I did the reading myself. It's also available as an e-book or a Kindle book. And I just want people to realize in this generation that the book of Revelation is intended to be understood, and God blesses those who take what is written here to heart. So may the Lord bless you as you read this. I hope that there will be thousands of local Bible studies and churches all around the world that will study this book. I've just found out that it's also going to be translated into Spanish and Portuguese. So all around the world, Let's understand the wonder of what lies ahead and the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming again. Well, until next week, 
This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Editing is by Courtney Warner. A lot of help goes in to develop these podcasts and to convert them into uh, into blogs for my uh, website by Sherry Anderson and Luke Tyler. Music is by Elijah Rowe. And so may the Lord bless you with all of this until we meet again.